why Christianity is challenging because Christianity says actually you know without Jesus you can do nothing and so we look to the Lord not just well I'm acknowledging that there is a God but we look to the Lord with a heart that's like Lord I'm completely dependent upon you without you God what can I do without you I can't bear any fruit Lord if I'm not abiding in Jesus I can't grow in any way that is substantial sure I may be able to make some some changes here or there but nothing that has eternal value In a culture that prizes self-sufficiency and individuality, it can be hard to ask for help. At times, it's even viewed as a weakness because you're admitting that you don't have it all together. That's why it's so hard for some people to follow God. They want to be okay on their own without His help. But as Pastor Daniel explains today, that's just not reality. We all need help from the Lord all the time. There's great freedom when you lean into your dependence on God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Psalms chapter 122 as he continues his message, Your Focus Sets Your Direction. Like it says in Psalm 84 verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And of course, if you've been around for a while, there was a, a very popular worship song where we used to sing it. I remember at the church I was at, they used to sing it over and over and over and over again. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand is elsewhere. And they'd always repeat, a thousand is elsewhere. Right? We used to sing that song over and over and over again. And, and, but listen... Are you excited about being the church? See, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But I think we live in a day and age, unfortunately, where many of us are a little bit of ashamed. Like, we're like, we, we don't get excited about, man, I get to be together with the people of God. I get to, I get to gather together with the church. And I think part of it is because when you, when you really fully engage in a church, you're going to meet all sorts of people who are different from you. Like in our culture, we really get excited when everyone is together and they like the same thing. Like, you know, like I remember growing up, I know some people who are really into Star Trek. You know what I mean? And like, and like the Trekkies were really like, they'd get all really worked up. They get all dressed up about it. Like, or if you're an athlete, if everyone likes the same sporting event, you go to a, you go to a, a, a sporting event. I just did this before all the coronavirus. I got invited to go to a Portland Trailblazer game with a friend of mine and they were playing my favorite team, the New York Knicks. And so I'm in the Moda Center in Portland, and everyone's a Portland Trailblazer fan except for me. And because I'm me, I'm loud. And so I was yelling so loud. I was like, I was totally rooting for the, for the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony, who used to be on the Knicks, is now on the Trailblazers. And I was booing him every time. And don't, don't judge me. I'm, I'm a pastor, but I love Jesus. But I'm not afraid to boo Carmelo Anthony because I used to boo him when he was on the Knicks too. But that's a different discussion. You know what I mean? And everyone around me is like looking at me because 
everyone's a Trailblazer fan, but I'm the one person who's a Knicks fan. But I bring this up because, you know, it's the difference between Portland and New York. You do that in New York, they beat you up. Here they just smile at you and tell you to calm down. You know, but, but the idea is, is that when everybody likes the same things, it's really easy to get excited because they feed off their excitement. But what's beautiful is the beauty of what church is, and the reason we should be excited about church is there's people from all different backgrounds, all different ways of life. But because Jesus has done a work in their life, you become family. I love it when the Crossroads family is gathered together and I see so many different people, different educational backgrounds, different lifestyles, different histories, different goals. But because of Jesus, we all get to be together. Everything's different. You see the whole span of humanity, but we get to be together. And I think in a lot of ways, we need to recover an excitement for church. An excitement to say, I get to be together with the people of God in the name of Jesus Fill with the spirit of God, over the word of God, to be able to grow and learn together. You know, I think one of the things that the enemy wants to do is he wants to get people to be like, oh man, well, church is optional. It's not for Jesus. Jesus came on a rescue mission because when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they become part of church. They're part of the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so you and I, in this journey of life as a pilgrim through, we need to learn how to be excited to be the church. Now, notice I I didn't say be excited to go to church because we're supposed to be the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere we are. See, too many people, they think, oh, I just go to church. No, no, you have to be the church. That's why in some ways this whole thing that's gone on with churches not being able to gather, you know, and and it's like, I'm always reminding people, everyone says that we're going to be the church all the time, but then people don't know how to be the church if you don't go to church. It's like, no, we gather together, we get built up, and then we go on out in the name of Jesus. And we have small groups, all these, this is what church is really all about. But for many people, the only thing they think church is about is going to church on Sunday. Not that we should forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but man, We should be excited to be the people of God. I'm excited that God would love me and would invite me to be a part of this crazy thing called church. You know, I meet so many amazing people. And as I've gotten to travel and teach, and I've been all over the world and and, and been in all different types of churches, big churches, small churches, house churches, underground churches, what you realize is that you meet all these people and there's one thing that puts us all together and that's God. It's the finished work of Jesus in our lives. The fact that God, like, you meet somebody, you can't even communicate, you speak different languages. But Jesus redeemed them just the way he redeemed me. It's extraordinary. So, so like David in this psalm, we should be excited, man. I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So we want to be excited to be the church. Now, look what it says next. It says in verse 3 of Psalm 122, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. You know, really quite simply, you and I, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. See, 
For the children of Israel, this was the place where they would go to worship. There was the tabernacle was there, then the temple was there. And it was the center of their spiritual life and their civil life. You know, King David was there and the subsequent uh, kings of, of, of the southern tribes were there. You know, but still to this day, God has a special place in his heart for Jerusalem. And of course, the, the name Jerusalem, it literally means city of peace. And, you know, the, that old saying, the tale of two cities. The, the Bible's a, a book about two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. It's in the book of Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. It's, there's two different ways to live. There's, you live the way of peace where God is the center, or Babylon is the way of the world, the way of rebellion. You know, you, you, you find the Tower of Babel in the book of, of Genesis. You find, of course, Melchizedek, of, you know, the, the priest from Salem. All of these things are, are right there in the beginning of the story. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, you know, I've, I've just been studying the book of Revelation in my own devotional time. We read through it together as a church. And I'm like, I'm going to go read through that again. I read through it three times. I'm not going to say I understand it anymore reading through it four times in a row than I understood it before. Even though I've taught the book, every time I read, I'm like, man, the book of Revelation is so deep. But sure enough, there it is, Jerusalem and Babylon, right there. And God has a special plan for the city called Jerusalem that is in modern-day Israel. God's purposes and plans are not yet done there. And our job as believers is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what it says, you know? And and, and it reminds me of Jeremiah chapter twenty. 3, verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved, it says. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he is called the Lord, our righteousness, or Jehovah to Sidkenu. See, God wants Jerusalem to dwell in safety, to be a place of peace and security and prosperity. You know, at the time that this was written, of course, it was the worship, the religious center. It was also the house of God. It was also the center of the political power of King David and his line. And then by the time our Lord Jesus comes, of course, the temple is there. It's been uh, rebuilt. And, 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 and Jesus comes in, and, and Jesus comes in as the Lord of the temple. And so we realize that God still has a plan for the, the city of Jerusalem. And our job is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When was the last time you said, God, just like it says here, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. See, we should always pray for God's peace to reign over challenging situations. And so much about God's end times plan has Jerusalem in focus. We'll have to table that discussion for another time. But we should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem because this is the the place that God's purposes and plans have been unpacked for us in the scriptures. Now, we're going to move on to now Psalm 123 together as we continue to, to kind of get our focus to set our direction. Now, now look at what it says in, in Psalm 123, verse 1. It says, Unto you I lift my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. 
Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Now, really what we learn here is that the way up is to look up. You know, it's amazing how we just, we keep coming back to this already in the beginning of this series, that our focus determines the direction that we're going to take. And notice, he says, in the midst of all, he's praying for the peace of Jerusalem. He's happy to be in the house of God. But then, hey, unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. And, and really, for us, if you want to grow, we need to get our eyes lifted up to the Lord. We need to focus our eyes upward. We need to see God for who he is and for what he is doing. And really what the idea is, is not only do we want to look up, but really this is talking about looking up with, with a heart of dependence. Because you see what he says here. As the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters... Or as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress. So the idea of the, I mean, the mistress means something different in our culture. But for maids and a mistress, that was the woman that they worked for. The servants with their masters, the person who they worked for. So the idea of the person that they're dependent upon for their life and their livelihood. And so for us, the way up is to look up, but don't just look up at the Lord, but to look up at the Lord with a heart of dependence saying, Lord, I am not independent of you, but God, I am dependent upon you. And I think in a lot of ways, for in our day and age, especially because we live in a society that is very big on individualism and you can do it your way, you don't need anybody, that kind of a philosophy, that's why Christianity is challenging because Christianity says actually, you know, without Jesus you can do nothing. And so we look to the Lord, not just, well, I'm acknowledging that there is a God, but we look to the Lord with a heart that's like, Lord, I'm completely dependent upon you. Without you, God, what can I do? Without you, I can't bear any fruit, Lord. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, I can't grow in any way that is substantial. Sure, I might be able to make some some changes here or there, but nothing that has eternal value. So the idea of looking to the Lord means we look up to God in a way of realizing that we are completely dependent upon God. As the Apostle Paul quotes it in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? We, we, without God, we have no breath in our lungs. Without the Lord, we, we, we can't do anything. Our lives are here because God is good. And it's not enough just to tip our hats to God, but really this is speaking about a, a complete and total surrender to the fact that we are dependent upon God. I always say this on July 4th, you know, on Independence Day. Let's never forget that our independence is because we're completely dependent. We don't have any freedom unless we are dependent on whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, listen, we don't want to buy the fallacy that we can do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. All the most important knobs are on God's side of the wall, right? God keeps air in the sky so we can breathe. God keeps our heart beating, right? God keeps our digestion working. God's ability to save through the finished work of Jesus. He did everything. He even gives us the gift of faith so that we can exercise it. See, left up to our own devices, we don't have anything going for us. We are still, even if we don't acknowledge God, you are still completely dependent upon God. And we need to learn how to look to the Lord and be comfortable being dependent. Kind of like, you know, 
When you do your taxes, how many dependents do you have? I'm like, I just realized, I, like, I'd be on God's tax form. I, I am a dependent. I can't do this on my own. But we need to learn how to look up and be good with the fact that we're dependent upon the Lord. That you really, you know, as the Bible teaches, that you were bought at a price and that you're not your own. So therefore glorify God with your, with your body and your spirit, which are the Lord. See, see, like our lives are not our own. And, and that's why as a Christian, we can say, listen, I'm second. Jesus is first. He must increase. I must decrease. He must get all the glory. I don't need anything. Why? Because I'm dependent upon the Lord. And I think for many of us who believe in Jesus, we believe in him, but we're not living a life dependent upon him. And, and I think it's a, it's a way that God wants to grow us as individuals. I think there's so many things that God invites us into that we really don't want to do because we realize that we're dependent upon him. It's like whether we're talking about serving self-sacrificially. It's a, it's a great, oh yeah, you know, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all, great. But why would I really want to do that? Why? Because you're dependent upon the Lord and Jesus served you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so when we step on out in humble, self-sacrificial service, we're saying, Lord, I'm dependent upon you, and this might feel beneath me, but nothing is beneath me because you took on flesh and you died on the cross for me. It's like financial generosity, right? Because really, every time we give financially, really what we're saying is, Lord, I'm dependent upon you, and I can give this away because I trust that this is your plan, and for many of us, it's like, that's just so hard to do. We're like, well, how can I do that? And it's like, it's, I won't have enough money. It's like, no, no. Well, if you're independent on the Lord, then you won't have enough because the numbers say what they do. But if you're dependent on the Lord, you realize God's got this. But it's hard, isn't it? It's like, you're like, oh, how's it? But when we realize that we are completely dependent, then we get to live differently. He invites us to say, look, I want you to live dependently. And if you do, you will find great freedom because you will learn that I am God. And the psalmist is doing that. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of the maid look to the hand of the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. He's like, look, we're looking up independent saying, Lord, have mercy upon us. This reminds me of 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, where it says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. That we need to seek God. We need to look up. We need to let our focus on the Lord determine the direction of our lives. And what's amazing is, is really what the psalmist is asking for. He's saying, look, I'm looking up at the Lord in dependence and I'm looking for mercy. Now, why is he asking for mercy? Because as the psalmist is on the journey, the psalmist begins to realize in his pilgrimage that he is imperfect. Notice verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 123. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Now, I don't want you to miss this. When you get your eyes on the Lord in dependence upon the Lord, in the face of God's perfections, we will see our own imperfections very clearly. 
See, for the psalmist, as he's seeking the Lord, he realizes he's like, Lord, we need mercy because we're filled with contempt. Why? What do you mean you're filled with contempt? You're here, you're wanting to be with the Lord. He's like, yeah, but the problem is, is our soul is filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. He's saying, look, what I realize is that there is a part of my heart because of the comfortability of my situation and because of my own pride that I have contempt in my heart. Because I don't want to be dependent. I feel strong. I feel independent. And I'm realizing that because of God's blessings in my life, I can receive those blessings and then actually act as if God didn't give me those blessings. And I can individualize them and, and make myself independent from God. And in a lot of ways, that's the story of our culture today, where God has blessed our culture in so many ways, but because of the ease of our culture and the comfort of our culture, and also because of you know, the pride of our culture, now people have received all these benefits and all these gifts from God, and they forsake him. And one of the things that I love so much about this is that as a believer, I'm aware that no matter how much I walk with the Lord, I should always be someone who comes to the Lord and say, have mercy upon me, a sinner, O oh Lord. No matter how much I grow, I still land in the spot that says, God, thank you for what you've done. I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. Lord, you're still doing a work in me. And then sometimes for the believer, all the outward things that no one will like kind of bust you on gets fixed. But then God does the the heart surgery, the inward stuff. Maybe nobody knew that the psalmist struggled with pride. Maybe nobody knew that the psalmist struggled with feeling a contempt in his heart. But God knew, and he knew he needed God's mercy and forgiveness. And listen, for us today, we realize that God's mercy has been given in Christ. We're not waiting for it. We have already received it. It's already done. Jesus on that cross, when he said, it is finished. All of God's mercy is contained right there at Calvary's cross in the name of Jesus. And so as a believer, you already have his mercy. And because you have his mercy, let's let God do the work he wants to do in all of our lives. Listen, there's not one of us. He's not done with any of us yet. There's things he's working on. I think about all that we've been going through with stay-at-home orders and all these things, and, I'm, and I am realizing how God has made so all of us uncomfortable and how it's revealing different species of sinfulness in our hearts. I'm seeing it in my own heart. I'm like, wow, look at that. I didn't know that that was in there. But given the circumstance of what's going on, all that stuff is being like, oh, look at that. But then I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you. You've saved me. And and you're not revealing this stuff to me because you don't love me. You're revealing this to me because you do. Because whom you love, you discipline, you chasten. You care about me. And so you're showing me all this stuff. And Lord, as you're showing me this stuff, Lord, I want to thank you that I am dependent upon you and that you have done a work in me and that you are doing a work. In this life, there will never be a time when you've fully arrived, when you've checked all the boxes and are finally perfect. The truth is that we're all works in progress, a hot mess in one way or another. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that God is continually working on you from the inside out, making you more 
and more like Him every day. So keep leaning in and yielding to Him as He brings up new areas that need work. He loves you too much to leave any part of your life broken. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Come back again when Pastor Daniel will continue walking you through some more songs that the Israelites sang as they made their way toward Jerusalem for different feasts. You'll see that God wants to be a part of your life's journey. Like the Israelites, He wants you to move closer to Him, trusting that He's enough for whatever comes your way. You can keep moving forward because He's with you. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.